This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. City Council, which is uh, going to be happening later on this afternoon. Uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is back in town now. He was, of course, uh, on a, a trip down to Bogota, Colombia, uh, that we'll talk about in just a couple of seconds. But uh, some interesting things occurred uh, that uh, need to be ratified or altered, I guess, as the case might be. Uh, one of those, of course, was uh, the possibility of, of, of exploring the bid for a Commonwealth Games uh, bid for Hamilton uh, for 2030. Uh, we'll talk about that as much more as Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to give us a rundown on this. Mr. Mayor, first of all, welcome back. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you, Bill. Good to be with you. I uh, have my coffee ready. I'm ready to go. Good stuff. Okay. Yeah. T- first of all, talk to us about the trip to Columbia and, and, and what you did down there. Uh, and by the way, th- this is going to segue very nicely into talking about the Commonwealth Games because I, I stipulated uh, when you were gone the other day, I, when this vote was coming up about the Commonwealth things, I said, you know what, the mayor wouldn't even be out of town right now if it weren't for the connections that have been made during the Pan Am Games. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and so we were following up on those connections, uh, working with uh, Pro-Columbia, which is their uh, national economic development arm, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and economic development Bogota with a number of business people that we brought uh, to other business people in uh, Colombia. And so we were looking for opportunities. We signed a uh, memorandum of understanding between uh, McMaster Innovation Park and a similar innovation park, actually bigger and more more progressive, more more not more progressive, but ha- that has progressed more already, uh, with Ruta N in uh, Medellin. Uh, all very uh, very modern cities, by the way, Barranquilla, uh, Medellin, and Bogota that we visited are uh, you know really crackling in terms of investment, and uh, they're looking for new opportunities in uh, uh, a stable economy like Canada, and uh, and vice versa. People from Canada are looking for opportunities in uh, in Colombia. So we uh, we made a number of connections. We had about twenty five uh, separate meetings with uh, business people and uh, and local leaders, and uh, and I think from that we'll continue to follow up and work on kind of the next generation of opportunity. Is is there a, a real possibility of some business connections there, or is this just kicking the tires? No, I think there's a real possibility. I think we you know we've been kicking the tires for the past couple of years. This was now about uh, getting to some more specifics. Uh, but you know these things take time. You uh, you nurture relationships. You nurture uh, you know business connections. Uh, we were there with uh, Cube Steel out of Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a steel bending uh, uh, manufacturer here in Hamilton that, that does work around the world, and they're uh, looking for new uh, new opportunities in the uh, steel industry, steel bending bending industry in Colombia. So. We have a number of, uh, you know, I think direct opportunities that uh, could very well lead to uh, employment there and here. All right, let's let's and talk about that too. By the way, Pipeline Studios, and this, I, I shouldn't forget this, has a significant presence here. They're uh, one of the kind of the largest animators uh, in the world in terms of doing the uh, the work for Universal and Disney, and uh, they're working right here out of Hamilton. They also have a location in uh, in uh, Bogota, where they're, or sorry, Medellin, where they're uh, where they're Training people in their their system of animation and uh, and growing the business there as well. So we already have you know businesses that have direct connections between Columbia and Hamilton. Well, hopefully we can see some some of the fruits of that trip uh, in the the months and, and years ahead. Yep. Let's let's talk, Mr. Mayor, about uh, about the Commonwealth Games bid, mm-hmm. and 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 I think most people are aware of the of the the, the dynamic here. Uh, the first ever Commonwealth Games, what they called the British Empire Games back then, were held here in Hamilton. That's how Civic Stadium was was built. Uh, the Jimmy Thompson Pool was built. They were built for those games. Mm-hmm. So some people are suggesting, and not just here in Hamilton, but in other places, of course, 
that the 100th anniversary of those games in 2030 should be in the city in which it started, which is Hamilton. Right. Uh, your council colleagues didn't seem very warm to the idea. Give me your thoughts on this. Uh, I'm supportive of exploring this. Uh, you know, I understand the caution. There, uh, you know, there there tends to be bid fatigue in uh, in, a, in a lot of places, and uh, you know, Hamilton is no different. We've had our Pan Am Games, successful, by the way, Pan Am Games that left behind another legacy piece, which was a stadium that uh, you know had we had to do it ourselves and do the retrofit was going to cost us about a hundred million dollars, and if we needed to replace and rebuild it. $180 million, and we got we got to do it with the help of two partners, federal and provincial government, and we only had to pay $60 million, and we had the games on top of that. So, you know, these are these games are opportunities to leave behind legacy infrastructure. That's really what drives uh, municipalities to participate, um, and, um, you know, I, I think it's worth our while to, at the very least, explore, not make a commitment at this point, understand what the ramifications are, who's who's interested in participating, federal and provincial government uh, included. I mean, if both of them say we're not interested in uh, participating in a pan, uh, Commonwealth Games here in uh, Canada, quite frankly, then uh, we're out of the game. Uh, so there's not much point in going any further. But if they say they are, then uh, it is it is our it should be in our interest to explore all the opportunities, what might come out of it, and uh, what kind of legacy infrastructure we could uh, we could engineer that uh, otherwise we would want but wouldn't want to pay the full cost for here's there's a philosophical point here that i wanted to touch on and 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 this is one of the things that that quite frankly bothered me with the way that the committee handled this uh the general issues committee at city council when they decided it was a very close vote to to their credit okay but 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 here's the thing if you don't like this, that's fine. But I mean, to make a decision with, without any information at all uh, is something that I think is 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 irresponsible. I mean, at least send back staff back and say, "Give us some numbers so we can make an informed decision." And if you look at the numbers and say, "Nah, I don't think we want to go there," that's fine. I can understand that. I may not agree with it, but I can understand that. Mm-hmm. But to simply be dismissive of it and say, "No, we don't even want to see the facts. We don't even want to see, uh, you know, what what might happen or what the costs are going to be." Uh, that that bothers me. I don't think that's what council should be doing, and that's not how they should be doing business. Uh, you're 100% right, Bill. I couldn't say it any better. Uh, you know, we uh, we should not be going down the path of making decisions without all the information and facts in front of us. So to uh, just base it on, uh, you know, emotions rather than facts is, uh, is just the wrong approach to take. And uh, even though you may think that uh, philosophically you're uh, you're opposed to these things, uh, you know you're, you should be working in the best interest of our city. And if there's an opportunity for us to uh, get some legacy infrastructure that uh, we otherwise would have to pay 100 percent dollars for, and we can do it for 30, 30 cent dollars, then uh, we should be having a look at that. Uh, there is that emotional tie, and uh, you know I'm certainly uh, you know one that uh, believes that we should respect and reflect on the origins of the game and you know Mr. Robinson uh, you know a Hamiltonian that uh, decided that uh, this was a good thing to do to bring uh, you know the commonwealth together and have these games here in Hamilton actually in fact put out that in in 1930 or 1928 $30,000 of his own money to make it happen which I think in today's dollars would be like a million dollars uh, you know, that legacy and that emotional tie, I think, is very strong. And, uh, you know, we may very well end up in a situation where there is no bidding process and, and the Commonwealth organizers might say, look, it's the 100th anniversary, it's logical that it goes to Hamilton, and let's not have a bidding process. And the bidding process is also an expensive venture, so that, that the competitive part of that is is somewhat complicating, and we've done it before, and we haven't been successful, so... 
I would say, uh, you know, there are there are issues here that are, that work in our favor that we should take a, a hard look at, and and the facts always should be considered when we make decisions. Well, there were two previous bids, and I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I was on council for for the the two situations. The first one, I mean, we got down to the final three. I mean, it, it was that close where they were going to make the announcement, and uh, and we we came up short. And you know, who knows? I mean, we. Heard all sorts of stories, you know, that there were payoffs to certain people. I, who knows what happened, but we didn't. But we, we were there. We were there at the finish line. It was a photo finish. Right. The second one, uh, basically, the federal government kind of screwed Hamilton around and said, no, 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 we want Halifax to have this. And that was for purely political reasons. Right. So And so we didn't even get to first base. We didn't even get out of the country on that one. And uh, as it turned out, Halifax eventually backed out anyway because they never did have the money for mm-hmm. it. They were just thinking mm-hmm. the Fed was going to pay for everything. So right. uh, we've had mixed success. But let me let me just hypothetically go down that road for a second, though, Mr. Mayor. Uh, that first bid that did so well for the city was an incredible collaboration of the city, McMaster University, mm-hmm. some local businesses and agencies, et cetera, all coming together to, to develop this master plan. Can right. you can you pull those people together again and maybe even some new ones to, to try to put a bid together if and when you decided to at least maybe look into this? Right. Well, so, so the, the, that's exactly what an exploration is all about. Uh, let's go and uh, talk to McMaster University. I think McMaster, back in those days, in every successive bid, has been interested in improving and expanding and renewing their aquatic center on behalf of the city of Hamilton with some uh, city city access and use. That's been a legacy piece that uh, has long been sought after, was actually part of Pan Am originally, and uh, and was uh, ended up in uh, Mississauga. Um, you know, uh, the, the, that, that's exactly the kind of exploration that needs to happen. Who's Who's going to participate? Who's what kind of legacy pieces are, are of interest to our major institutions? Whether it's uh, Mohawk College or or, or uh, you know Brock that uh, has a presence here, or, or McMaster, our major university. Uh, what uh, what other uh, participants, uh, private sector or otherwise, are here? What are the federal and provincial governments prepared to do? Are they prepared to back a bid for uh, for Canada and for uh, for Hamilton? And uh, and all of that needs to be explored before you you make a final decision. So uh, it, again, it, th- those kind of facts and those kinds of coming coming together to see what the, what the opportunities are is exactly what we need to do. And that's all they're asking to do at this point is let's go and explore and see who's prepared to do what to make this happen. If no one's prepared to play, then we're out of the game. And and that could well be the case. I mean, I know some of the councillors who voted against this last week were were mentioning things like, well, you know. We, these things take on a life of their own. Where there's so many stop signs along the way here, the feds may say no, the province may say no, we're not going to get behind this. Uh, there might be top five other cities in Canada that could muddy the process too. There's all kinds of ways, to, to use their phrase, exit ramps to get out of this if you don't want to, but at least make an informed decision. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. It should be an interesting debate today. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I uh, you know, I think it'll, uh, it'll, it'll probably pass very narrowly to continue to explore. We'll see. Uh, certainly, I'm going to be supportive of that. I think we need two others to uh, to come on board, and uh, and we'll see how they uh, how they go. Uh, but you know what? Uh, again, uh, you know, I'll point to you know, had we not been participants in the Pan Am Games, we would not have a new stadium for for all the you know the heartache and the 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 wrinkles that have happened uh, as a result of getting to this uh, new stadium stage. Uh, we we wouldn't have a new stadium. We'd likely have a stadium that would be uh, condemned by now. Uh, because that was uh, we were on the verge of having that done as a result of uh, you know uh, the, the decay in the Iowa Wind Stadium. So today we have a brand new stadium 
cost us uh, $60 million as opposed to $180 million. We had a wonderful Pan Am uh, Games experience event with uh, many others in the province of Ontario. And lots of legacy infrastructure has been left behind that uh, all of these municipalities has wanted for uh, quite some time. So there's, there's good reason to look at this and take a serious look at this. There's uh, not good reason to just dismiss it off out of hand without having all the facts. All right. On that uh, note, let me just ask you very quickly. i got about a minute and a half left here. Yep. Uh, also, while you were gone, of course, news that Amazon is looking for a, a new North American headquarters to partner yep. with their place in Seattle right now. A right. uh, lot of folks are interested in this. Uh, you've expressed some interest in this already, mm-hmm. but uh, some pretty big players, Boston, uh, Los Angeles, uh, some Austin, Texas, uh, places like that, and a few American cities plus Canadian cities. Mm-hmm. How do you get Hamilton on the map there? How do you How do you get them to say, hey, look at us? Well, I mean, again, I, I would say that there's probably a multi-level uh, approach that needs to happen here. I think uh, our federal government uh, needs to weigh in, and, uh, and, and our provincial government also. Uh, I think any municipality in, in Canada will need the assistance of uh, two levels of government to, uh, to, to, to engineer this uh, for them. So uh, it's going to be a very, uh, very competitive process. I think we'll be very cautious in terms of how we proceed, but I think we need to proceed. So uh, let's go and find out what uh, other levels of government are prepared to do, whether or not they're prepared to narrow down a number of communities on a provincial basis on which ones they would be prepared to back in terms of a bid process. And then, uh, you know, if we're in the running in that category, then uh, let's go to next steps and uh, make a fulsome application. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the application timeline is October the 19th, which certainly puts the pressure on everyone to, uh, to get something in and if we're going to do that, I think we need to go uh, full force with the, you know, if we have the backing of the federal and provincial governments, we need to go full force in doing a comprehensive, innovative, uh, creative bid. will probably cost us some money to do, uh, but this is the kind of opportunity that I think is, uh, is, is m- most appropriate for Hamilton uh, in terms of our geographic location, our, uh, our access to universities, our access to an international airport. Uh, and we have, you know, in our minds, uh, you know, spied out some lands that uh, would be perfect. Uh, one, one, a former stadium site in the Stewart Street location down near the waterfront. Uh, and we have, an, you know, a substantial airport employment growth district that, uh, that is, uh, you know, ready, mm-hmm. ready to, uh, to develop. So we have opportunity. Um, I, I did have a brief chat with uh, uh, the regional chair in Niagara and the mayor of St. Catharines who expressed interest. Uh, I would hope that uh, if we're going to go down this road, that we may, you know, in terms of population base, consider their support as uh, as part of a bid process to go forward, and uh, that 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 generally then means that we have a you know metropolitan area of a million plus. I mean, if you include Brantford, Niagara, uh, St. Catharines, uh, you know, that's that's well over a million uh, population to be able to fulfill that one requirement. But I think that's the only one that we don't really. 100% meet as a city unto itself, but beyond that, in our metropolitan area, it's all there. So I, I say, uh, you know, we're as good as any community and maybe better than most in terms of our geographic location, close to the, you know, both of the American borders. And if they're interested in picking a Canadian city, I think we're as good a, good a location as any. Well, we'll see uh, where Council's heads are at on both these issues later on this afternoon. Mr. Mayor, thanks as always for this. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Bill. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. This is going to be quite a year. Uh, we, we, we're ever-changing, I guess, uh, the media landscape here in this country. 
And an iconic figure, of course, stepped down July 1st, uh, Peter Mansbridge, after years and years of anchoring the National on CBC, uh, stepped down after the Canada 150 celebrations into, I guess we call that retirement, but not really, because he is embarking on a national storytelling tour. He's coming to Hamilton later on this fall, but uh, he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show right now to talk about that. Peter, welcome to the program. Great to have you with us today. Hey, Bill, it's great to talk to you and uh, very kind of you to put me on. Well, listen, I, I was just going to ask you about how retirement's treating you and you get to sleep in, but I just saw you tweeting earlier this morning. You were at the gym early, <laughs> so has, has anything really changed, Peter? Uh, well, I still get up early, and where I used to you know, be hitting the, uh, uh, the computer to check on stories all over the world, I still do some of that, but, uh, but I, I like getting to the gym in the morning before all the really good people get there, so <laughs> I, I can sort of roll in and do my thing uh, uninterrupted. Uh, yeah, except that on your tweet today, you were talking about how there's, there's this Haley Wickenheiser thing that just got, and then there's an now there's an athlete, and then there's the rest of us that go to the gym, right? Exactly. When I saw that, good old Haley was uh, quite something. Finding that one, I, I don't, I don't think we'll all be trying that tomorrow. Peter, I got to ask you about the tour. I, I was intrigued when I mm-hmm. saw this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, how you, there's such a body of work. There's so many things that 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 you could and should be talking about here over this illustrious career, not just as an anchor, but of course as as a as a correspondent. I mean, you've been all over the place. You've covered some of the great events of the world uh, since about 1968, I guess, when you first uh, stepped behind the microphone. Right now, when when you're putting something like this together, how do you decide what to leave in, what to leave out? It is tricky because you're right. Over 50 years, I've seen a lot of things, met a lot of people, been to a lot of places, all of which have stories to tell. But what I kind of centered on, you know what it's like when when you go out, Bill, and you're out with friends in the evening and they end up talking to you about the business a little bit. You tell them some stories and they go, wow, that was amazing. How come you never told that on the air? (laughs) Well, there's usually a number of reasons why we haven't told those stories on the air, but they all... If we're going to be totally transparent about our business, they all do contribute to how we end up doing the things we do on air. So that was the basis of what I wanted to do. I look for stories that some are funny, um, some clearly show the, uh, the the problems we have sometimes in the business. Others clearly show how much impact we can have in a very good way. So they all tell us something about the business, but they also tell us something, I think, about Canada and about Canadians, no matter where they happened in the world. So I've isolated a couple of dozen stories uh, that I'll tell during this, uh, during this tour, um, and, and there will be that mix. Uh, it should generate many different kinds of emotions. I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, see Christopher Plummer's one-man show at Stratford. I know you saw it, Peter, a couple of years ago, I guess. Uh, which was really really autobiographical, going, kind of going down his career and with, with certain, uh, course, reflections on some of the great productions in which he was involved. And, and I, I thought about that when I heard that you were going to be doing this, because there, there's going to be, I, I would think, a little bit of Peter Mansbridge, a little bit of the personal side of this thing, and then, of course, the professional side, the, 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 the stuff above the water, I guess, that we've all seen, of course, in front of the camera. But there's a lot of stuff behind the camera that I, I'm sure that you're going to start to share with us now. And that's the idea, you know, uh, trying to, you know, pull the curtain back a little bit, show people what it's really like, and show some of the things that happen uh, on these stories that everybody remembers, and yet they were never aware of this little moment or that little moment, um, that do, uh, do contribute to the way we told the story, 
uh, do contribute to uh, who we are uh, as journalists because, as I said, some of them are very funny, um, but some are also emotional. They impact us as journalists, and uh, the people should know that. There, oh, I hate to, to paint everything with one broad brush, but I mean, there's there almost two different kinds of, of journalism. There's those that you prepare for, you, the Canada 150 celebrations. You knew that was coming. You you, you know what's going to happen. You know where you're going to be. You didn't predict the rain, obviously, but everything else. <laughs> uh, but then there's the things like, Peter, grab your coat. Uh, you know, two buildings, uh, two planes just went into the World Trade Center, uh, that sort yeah, of thing, and and that you can't prepare for that in any way, shape, or form, and you're really flying by the seat of your pants, and it's it's really two different kinds of journalism, isn't it? It is very much two different kinds of journalism, and you know, quite frankly, I, I prefer the latter than the former uh, because. You can, in a way, prepare. You know, you've been preparing all your life for those kind of days because it's whether how you react, uh, you know, calmly and w- with a certain degree of, uh, of probing to stories that come out of nowhere. Um, I, you know, like all of us, I remember that day so clearly. I was, I was in my doctor's office getting my annual physical when my... Uh, uh, phone went off. I think it was a beeper in those days. Um, and, uh, you know, bang, 10 minutes later, I was on the air and didn't get out of the studio for 44 hours. So, you know, you, you go in and you navigate a story that's occurring and you draw on all the resources you've got through your other uh, journalists who are on the scene in different places and uh, through the production staff who are gathering information for you and booking guests is just no different than than what you do and it's uh you know it's a challenge but it's it's the kind of day you live for you want you know you don't want the horror that that day brought but you want the experience of dealing with a breaking fast moving story there's a, a bit of an adrenaline rush to that, though, isn't there, Peter? And and, and, and you know, quite aside from the topic of, of well, whether it was World Trade Center or any other, you know, the death of Princess Diana, which you covered so well as, uh, at the mm-hmm. but it, there's, there's there's you there's this knowledge that people are looking right now to say, Peter, what's going on? Uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going. I'm flipping over here. I don't know what's going. Who's doing what? What's happening here? And why is it happening? And 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 that's all funneled through you. That's uh, and and the staff. Obviously, there's a lot of other people that are contributing. They're talking in your ear constantly while you're in front of the camera. But but it's happening. Is is it? it it's it's got to be a real fascinating and and invigorating experience at the same time. It is, and the the secret to it in many ways is to be completely transparent and honest with your audience. If you don't know something, don't pretend you do. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, bring them in on that. You know, we don't know X, Y, and Z, and this is how we're trying to figure out the answers to those questions. Um, and if you're honest with the audience, they will forgive lots of things. You know, on days like that, there are there are always issues like whether they're technical. Uh, or editorial, but if you're upfront and honest, uh, and I'll tell some stories about that day um, that haven't been told before, about things that uh, that happened on 9/11 uh, in, in in the business of the journalism. Um, audiences want to know, um, and if you're upfront with them, they'll uh, they'll stay with you. There's so many different facets to, to your career, though, Peter. There's obviously the, the, the anchoring with the National. There's the, the time, as of course, as a, as a journalist. You covered Parliament Hill. You've been all over the place uh, covering different aspects of this. But then there's the Peter Mansbridge, uh, the interviewer. And, and you've had that opportunity on CBC, of course, to sit down one-on-one 
with, quite frankly, some of the most fascinating people, not just in this country, but in the world. That's true. I mean, like, incredibly lucky when you think about it, that people that uh, that positional has allowed me to sit down uh, and talk to face-to-face. Uh, and, you know, the, all, I've got some stories about some of the, the, especially the funny moments that happen on some of those interviews, because what, what you see on the air is the two of us, whoever it is, sitting across from me, uh, you know, talking whatever, about whatever the issues are. But so much happens in and around that, as you know, Bill, from, you know, your interviews. Mm-hmm. Things happen before the interview starts. Things happen after the interview starts. And and some of them can be quite funny. My some of my favorites are around Barack Obama when I was in the White House interviewing him. There's there, <laughs> there were quite a few little things that happened on that which were and uh, uh, which were not only hilarious but also very Canadian. And uh, you'll hear about them. You prepare uh, to the nth degree for for those sorts of things. That's obvious that you you know your stuff. You know the background. You know the relevant information, etc. But with all that preparation, Peter, were there instances where you sat down across from somebody and were surprised by what you heard? You always want to be surprised. Um, I mean, that, as you know, is the trick of a good interview. If you can see somebody pause before they answer your question, you're making them think. Uh, so in a way, that's surprising because a lot of the people we interview, uh, it comes out like message track. They're prepped. They know what they're going to say, no matter what your questions are. So you 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 want to get a surprise that way. Um, but I've done a few. I, I can remember the second or third time I interviewed Margaret Thatcher. It was just a disaster because she was like all over me, attacking me. It was about her book, uh, about a book she'd written, which I didn't think was very good. But she uh, she she just was letting me have it with every answer. And uh, she was, uh, I can tell you, she won the day on that. I, I don't think I was the first one to get beaten up by the Iron Lady, but uh, it was surprising in the way she's kind of demolished me. It's always an interesting enterprise to, to sit down there and an exercise to sit in with the, and, and as you say, especially when you're dealing with, with political officials, uh, get them away from the pat answer. And, and you do that so well uh, by asking, and, it, and it's not the Barbara Walter say, what kind of tree would you be? I mean, you, you, you delve in and you're asking them questions that they probably don't even expect. And that, that really gives you that, that, that honest, I guess, bare bones answer as opposed to the, the polished uh, pat answer that they expected to give. That's true. Um, you know, trying to break through that kind of message track uh, is the secret of a good interview. You, you, you know, you can't, you're not going to achieve that every time, uh, but when you do, it feels pretty good. People are getting excited about this. Uh, I, I saw Mark Critch uh, tweeting earlier this morning, too. Talk, of course, you're going to kick this off, of course, on, on, the, on the Rock in Newfoundland and work your way across the country. There's an expectation about this. This is, this is like a, 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 a rock band that's on tour right now, Peter. You're feeling, <laughs> are you feeling the pressure? I'm I'm feeling just like a rock star. <laughs> no, listen, I, I'm I'm excited that people um, uh, that it's generating some interest because I think there's lots to talk about. Uh, part of the, the the evening will also be an opportunity for them to ask me questions. And at a time when the media is under the microscope and under the gun to some degree, that's a good thing. Um, so I'll be trying to answer their questions about. Uh, about what they see in journalism today, but I listen. I'm I'm very excited to do this tour. I know, you know, I've been to every part of this country many times as a result of the job I'm in, and uh, I, I'm looking to going back on the on this tour to uh, to see and talk to uh, 
friends and those who've been uh, supporters of, of mine for years. November the 9th, it's a Thursday evening uh, here in Hamilton, of course, at the First Ontario Concert Centre. Looking forward to the date. Uh, hopefully, Peter, we can hook up before then and, uh, and talk about some of these other great stories as well. Thank you so much for this today. Great talking with you. Thank you, Bill, for the opportunity. Take care. Peter Mansbridge, of yep. course, a retired broadcaster, well, sort of retired anyway, who's going to be here in town for the, uh, the National Storytelling Tour. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Today marks the 11th year, the anniversary, as it will, of uh, Recovery Awareness Day. Now, this is to commemorate the agencies in our city that run substance abuse and treatment programs, and uh, there are many of them, and uh, obviously creating that awareness uh, and getting information out there is going to be a key to this. Joining us to talk about this is Laura Whalen, who is a senior addiction counselor with St. Joe's Womankind Addiction Service here in the community. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about about what you do and, and where you're working and the, and the co- sorts of programs that are available. Because I would, I would think that awareness and, and having people know exactly what is available to them has got to be key here. Um, yep, certainly. And all of our agencies will be represented today at the Recovery Awareness Day. But we, I work at St. Joseph's Healthcare. So St. Joe's has, has uh, programs for men and women. Um, and uh, um, there are um, withdrawal management, treatment programs, inpatient and outpatient, um, some alcohol, drug and gambling services, uh, mission services, alternatives for youth. There are a number of agencies um, in the city um, and uh, and we'll all be gathering today with the community. Yeah, this, this celebration actually, and it is a celebration because we should be proud of the fact that, that people like yourself and all these other agencies that you've already mentioned are, are working collaboratively for uh, for the common good here. Uh, this is going to be down at Pier 4 Park uh, from 3 till 7 o'clock later on today. Uh, and uh, there'll be some entertainment down there, some local artisans, some food vendors, and things of that nature. So it'll be be a nice. It's a nice day for it too, but a great celebration of this. But let's let's talk a little bit about about the work that's being done here. I, I would think that uh, with the the media attention that we've had about about addiction and about addiction services right now, uh, that, uh, that 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 trying to get that word out and making people aware of the fact that if they do need help, that there's somebody there for them. Uh, has has really tried to I, I think gone a long way to try to to increase the awareness about what's going on and and maybe even get people to pick up that phone and make that call. Absolutely. So um, so recovery awareness month and and we're acknowledging it with a day today is all about uh, is all about bringing those stories forward. So the stories of addiction are told, are shown, are 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 all over our media, and um, and the stories of recovery are. Uh, are pretty compelling as well. And so that's what the celebration is really about. Yes, the addiction services and resources that are available, but mostly about those um, men and women and youth who are making big changes and strides in their life and who um, and who are showing that recovery is achievable and that it's sustainable um, and it brings um, community together, it heals and, and reconnects family members. So, um, so that's what we really want the message to be: is that the story, the stories of recovery, um, help to change the dialogue around 
who gets help and who doesn't reach out for help and and really breaking down that stigma by showing um, the flip side, a a hopeful, positive outcome for many. Well, that's got to be part of the the picture, hasn't it? I mean, for for people that are dealing with addictions and, and maybe thinking, my God, there's no place for me to go, nobody to turn to, I've gone too far down this road right now. That, that there are success stories, there are people that have reached out and and uh, and have been able to change their lives for the better, and, and we need to hear those stories. Absolutely, um, they uh, um, they just they show um, those who who have no hope that there that there can be hope just around the corner, and the stories that are shared today at our event are. Um, are going to touch everybody in a very different way, um, but they, year after year, we hear that they um, that they resonate and connect with somebody and help them to make that next step and uh, and make a phone call and um, and just challenge that stigma. How do you access these services, Laurel? For somebody who's listening right now that thinks maybe you know what, maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe that's what I need in my life right now. Uh, how is it a phone call? Do you need a, a referral? Do you need to go through your family doctor? What, what is there a process that needs to be followed here? Um, for some of the programs, there are there is a process, but it can start as easily as with a phone call. So, um, so um, you can call in any of the local addiction services. Um, you can call a hospital. You can call and and just ask to be connected. There is drug and alcohol helpline. Um, uh, but it, it really is any social service agency um, that uh, that somebody reaches out to um, can connect them with the addiction services and and um, there there are too many to list today of what our, all of our numbers are but but um, we're all listed we're easily accessible um, by phone over the internet um, through the drug and drug and alcohol helpline and you can call a withdrawal management center. And um, and find yourself sometimes coming in a couple hours later. You mentioned something that I think is very uh, germane to this discussion here, and that is that there are so many different agencies here, and that's a good news story. Uh, that sure. uh, no matter what your particular circumstance is, there are people that are trained to be able to help you in that circumstance, whether it's youth, whether it's a gender issue, whatever. Uh, th- th- there's an agency there that can do something for you, and, and they'll sort that out, I guess. So, you know, if you call one of them and they say, well, it doesn't really, call this number, we'll get somebody to call you, whatever the case might be. Uh, the success stories that we have heard over the years are, are simply phenomenal. Uh, and it, I think it, it really is a testimony to, to people like yourself, Lord, and the many others who work as counselors in, in all of these services uh, to offer that, that helping hand to people that are, are, are looking for that right now to try to get their lives back in order. Um, thank you. And, and, it, and it, takes, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to make those initial first steps and make those calls. And, um, and uh, if we can just meet them with some warmth, anybody... Um, to who they can reach out to, then then that increases the likelihood of them going that next step, and um, and as well as you know the local addiction services, there are many many pathways to recovery. So many folks will find their way into um, the rooms of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, Women for Sobriety. Um, there's um, you know individual harm reduction programs um, and uh, mobile teams that are that are you know out literally um, on the streets engaging with folks. So there's, um, there's no set prescription of how to uh, make that change, and, uh, and that 
helps to reach those who might not fit into a well maybe the, maybe the best first step would be to go down to the event today from three o'clock to seven o'clock down to pier four and they can introduce okay. themselves and just have a conversation laurel thank you so much for the Absolutely. great work that you're doing uh thanks for taking thank some you. time with us today and uh, and enjoy yourself for the rest of the day on up pier four thanks a lot have a great day you too you're listening to the bill kelly show weekdays from nine to noon on am 900 chml well, the good news is two of the greatest comedians of our time are on the road. The even better news is they're coming to Hamilton this coming Sunday at First Ontario Concert Hall. Lewis Black is known as the king of rant. He's got a truckload of nom- nominations for Grammys, won a couple of them. You see him on late night television, of course, HBO specials all over the place. And uh, Kathleen Madigan, what can I say about Kathleen Madigan? Well, the Detroit Free Press and uh, PopMatters.com uh, named her as one of the nine funniest women on the planet. Her fourth hour special is uh, is on Netflix right now. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Uh, she's got a load of nominations, too, for her great work. And you're going to see them together this coming Sunday at First Ontario Concert Hall. And both of them are with us right now on the program. Lewis, Kathleen, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us today. Well, we're pleased. And I didn't know. I'm shocked to know that she's ninth because I thought she was at least seven. Well, one of nine. One of nine. One of nine. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was a little ridiculous, though, because there's like half a billion Chinese bi- people that haven't even had a crackhead. Those ladies don't have open mic night, so you can't say the planet. And when those votes come in, right? <laughs> Listen, before we, I want to talk about the show and what you guys are going to do, but before we get into that, uh, you guys are, this is not your first collaboration. This is called the 49th Parallel Tour, of course, because you're doing Canadian dates this time around, but you guys have known each other for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, we, we have. Last time he uh, took me to Afghanistan with him, and I said, well, maybe the next time we could uh, lighten it up a little bit, <laughs> go somewhere where there's less uh, bombings and more alcohol, and we found it right here in Canada. <laughs> yeah. And then also, she was, uh, Kathleen was on the show that I did called The Root of All Evil, which yeah. was on uh, Comedy Central for a while. And uh, and we've done a lot, we've done a number of shows together. We well, do a lot of charity stuff too for cystic fibrosis and autism, and those are fun to do, especially when you got somebody to do it with instead of just trying to uh, do it all yourself. What Kathleen? What what do comedians talk about when they hang out? You guys have known each other. I mean, I saw. I remember an old episode of uh, the Green Room. I don't know how many years ago that was. You know, the show with Paul Pervenka, and you and you two oh, were on the panel. And, and and it was. It's just everybody sitting around. Is is that what it's like when a bunch of comedians get together, just bouncing stuff off each other? Uh, we're not usually doing jokes. Last night we got into a big wine <laughs> argument about whether or not uh, somebody's actually working on figuring things out uh, or not. I say they're not because it's 50 years later and we still don't really know who killed, well, we know who killed like Martin Luther King and Kennedy, but we don't know who backed them. And Lou says there's somebody still working on that. If I would just be patient, that information will be coming out soon. And then after that, they can get to Donald Trump's problems yeah. and what he may or may not be doing behind the scenes. Yeah, we had a huge wine argument. But we also, but you know, and we do bounce stuff over each other, but you know, it depends on the kind of get the comics you're hanging out with. Because uh, I mean, you, it's there are comics who are on 24/7, and one of the reasons that Kathleen and I get along is, is we, we we're not on 24/7. We just we actually just sit around and yak about stuff the way anybody yak about stuff, and we're just a little funnier. 
You mentioned Donald yeah, Trump, and I, 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 I get—I had to know that Donald Trump's name was going to come up in this conversation, guys. Uh, but Lewis, you made an interesting observation a couple of months ago. I think it was on the Colbert show I was watching, and and he made the assertion. He says, "Well, it's got to be easier to be, to be a comedian these days with Trump in there." And you actually said, "No, it's more difficult." Yeah, because it's hard to satire. You can't satirize what is already satiric. It becomes. Uh, it, it, it's just an exhausting. I find it exhausting. I find it difficult to pick up the paper and look at something. You know, where we, I'm looking at my reality, the reality that's around me in my country, and it's not reality. It's satire. And, and uh, so, what? Am, what? Are, you know, what? What do you really need a comic for? And, and as Kathleen points out, a, a lot of the time, you know, it's by the time eleven o'clock rolls around, there's already everybody already has twenty hundred jokes about Trump, you know, and it's it's kind of, and, and it also means anybody who wants to just stand on stage and say what it was that Trump said today considers themselves a political comic, and boy, aren't I funny. But you made an interesting distinction, too. I watched your uh, presentation uh, some months ago, I guess, at Chautauqua College up in upstate New York there. Uh, and and yeah. <laughs> uh, typically, I said you know comedians aren't supposed to be comedians in the morning. But and you know, but once you got over that, you, you said, look, at, you know, a lot of people that are funny, but just because you're funny doesn't mean that you can be a comedian. What's what's the difference? But, well, the difference is, I think that the, it's that being funny in front of, uh, you know, you can be funny in, in sitting in a bar with a bunch of friends, and you can be a riot. But then to walk literally ten feet to go on stage. And stand in front of a room full of strangers. Can you bring that, who you are, and that kind of funny onto the stage? Can you be funny in front of a room full of strangers? And in order to do that, you got to do it night after night after night after night. You know, there are very, very few naturals. Kathleen was a natural. It's really irritating. <laughs> very, very few. Of them. She, but she was. She was. I, I, the first time I worked with her, she said, yeah, I went, son of a gun, she's got, you know, she was already way, way down the road, and she had just been working a few months. Let me ask you about your latest. Uh, it's on. It's on Netflix right now, Kathleen. Uh, the show is called "Bothering Jesus." Now, I, I went through the Catholic school system and, and was an altar boy at one time, so I'm thinking, well, this is an intriguing title. I started watching the show, and by the way, I, I watched it with earphones uh, on my phone while I was in the doctor's office. And don't do that, people, because you start laughing out loud and people look at you. It. This is uproariously funny, but it's it's all true. I mean, talk to us about the material and how you put that together. Well, it really, um, I mean, it really was true, but what reminded me of it was my youngest brother's uh, oldest kid, I think, was uh, making his first uh, confession, and they were talking about, you know, what little Patrick was debating whether or not to tell the priest and stuff, so then that's what made me remember all that. My dad really was a lawyer and and, and used to tell us that all the time, And, and the more that I do not recall and I need an attorney, which, by the way, is what <laughs> half the Trump uh, staff is saying right now. Every, that's what Trump Jr. was saying. They asked him who else was in the meeting. Oh, I, I don't recall. I do not recall. Like, blah. So it was just pulling from that. It was something I hadn't talked about. The uh, the title "Bothering Jesus" uh, is an, a great bit within the uh, the, sh- the special itself, and and it brought back so many memories. And you, you just nailed it, Kathleen. It's like, no, don't pray to Jesus; he's busy. Uh, you've got patron saints, you've got the saint of this, the saint of that. Go down the list before you get to to him, right? 
Yeah, there's even, uh, we even have a real estate saint, uh, St. Joseph. If you want to sell your house quickly, you go buy a statue of him, bury it underground in your backyard. Then when you sell the house, you got to promise to take him with you and display it prominently at your new home, which we did, and the whole thing worked. So there you go. Life is, uh, is I guess, the stage for comedy, and, and, and the kind of comedy that you guys do is, is, is torn other pages of life like that. And I, I'm looking, for instance, like, Kathleen, you're from, you're from Ferguson, Missouri, and if that name sounds familiar to our listeners, uh, it's because a whole lot of stuff went on down there. Of course, racial riots and, and uh, just an ugly, ugly scene. Uh, Lewis, you, you... A lot of it caused by her. <laughs> is that why you left town, Kathleen? I, I started it and left. <laughs> <laughs> and in your situation, Lewis, I mean, you were born just outside Washington, but you, you went to school at Chapel Hill at, at North Carolina. Uh, and, of course, we all know what's going yeah. on with tearing down statues and, and, and the rebel flag and things of this nature. Are, are you guys, are, were you surprised? I mean, you spent a lot of time there in, in bygone years. Were you surprised to see this stuff flare up in, in those communities? I wasn't. I was waiting for that every day of my life. I'm like, this place is a time bomb. Yeah. And uh, it was ticking and ticking and ticking. And finally, it uh, just went off. I don't know about Lou for his area. Well, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I always knew it was kind of still simmering down there. It was just a question of when it would finally. But but not on this. I didn't expect it on the level that, um, look what happened in Charlottesville. I didn't expect that we'd have, like, uh uh, like oh, like uh, you know, all of a sudden they're marching around, and uh, you know that white power would make a big comeback all of a sudden, and that they'd be wandering around in chinos, and that they dressed up nicely, and that they were taking a whole new approach to their nonsense. But uh, it was kind of I was kind of staggered by that. I mean, when I was at Chapel Hill with the uh, this is in '67, the uh, there was one fraternity that would have a, a Confederate Day march. And they, they would literally march down the street. Some of them were dressed in Confederate uniforms. Some, they were on a, one guy was on a horse wearing a Confederate uniform. They had the flag and all. And then they, uh, they ended up uh, with literally, uh, there were thousands that gathered in the street. And, and uh, that was the end of that. That, that. that parade, that kind of thing didn't happen again. And so it was over with. And, um, so there's, it's it's always been kind of lying there. I mean, the the hope is is that by it's rearing its head again, that we can finally deal with it and move on. But I think it's I think a bit of that's always going to be there. It's hard. It's hard to kill off dinosaurs. But it's also uh, wow, good one, Lou. It's also uh, you know when Donald gives them all the wink and the nod, uh, it's going to come back up. I think it's always there. You just got to keep it down. But when your leader you know, gives them a wink on the side, well, then they're going to feel more free to come out. And I can't believe that we're arguing about statues of people who didn't want a statue. <laughs> Robert Lee and Jefferson Davis said, do not put a statue of us up. And then they, in the 20s, they went ahead and did it, the white supremacists, and now we're still arguing about something that was already discussed in 1871. It's it's phenomenal, but thank God there are good people on both sides, though. So hopefully we can find some middle ground there. Is is there anything that's off limits for you guys? I mean, you, the, the material that you use is just it's fabulous stuff, uh, and it's the sort of thing that you're thinking, boy, I wish I'd said that, or I wish I'd thought of that. And and you cover it. I, I know Kathleen in, in in your stuff on Netflix, uh, you talk about racial tension, you talk about religion, you talk about the difference between Catholics and Christians. That's a great bit too. Is is there anything that you look at and say, whoa, whoa, I better not go there not yet anyway well uh, uh, abortion 
Uh, I've talked. I've, I've actually only just said the word in my act to show people how uh, how it, you know it's almost impossible to discuss it because you can feel the audience just tighten. All you have to do is say the word, and can, everyone in the audience tightens up. That's the one thing I had not thought of how to approach that yet. Anything well, I do know that my health plan won't cover abortions or foot care, so I'm only discussing it that far. But uh, uh, at my age, I don't. I think I'd probably just need the foot care. <laughs> <laughs> this this is going to be so much fun. Onions aren't a joke. <laughs> uh, the Netflix special, by the way, is called uh, Bothering Jesus. It's incredible. Uh, Lewis stuff is all, uh, there's so much of it, of course, that's uh, up on uh, YouTube and on Facebook and on so many other platforms like that. Uh, you, you missed the Kennedy Center thing, though, Lewis, and you talked about that extensively. Uh, you ended up still doing Washington as a result of that. Is, is that still on your bucket list to finally play the Kennedy Center? Well, they've asked me, and, uh, but I like playing. I'm, I'm so irritated by the fact uh, that they... Uh, they didn't let me perform there, and it was to do a special for HBO. I may I may go back and do it, but I really love playing that uh, venue down in DC. It's the uh, it's the uh, that theater is just a great theater to play. So they 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 better come up with some more money. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank God you're available to play up here this weekend, and I know that you're going to be in NICH from my listening area. You're going to be down in London. I know you're doing Toronto, Massey Hall, uh, a number of other venues like that. But uh, we want to see you this coming Sunday. We love you. Love doing Massey Hall. Yeah, one of the great concert halls around. Hall. It, 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 reminds is, me. It's, it really is a great venue. It's uh, and uh, you're going to love this place up here too, called the uh, the first uh, Ontario Concert Hall here too. It's a very intimate place, uh, and and some of the greats, uh, Seinfeld and, and Bob Newhart and everybody else have played up here, and you're two of the greats as well. So you're, you're going to fit right in here. Sunday at First Ontario Concert Hall, the great Lewis Black and the incredible Kathleen Madigan together on one bill. It just doesn't get any better than that. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. We really appreciate it. Can I just uh, tell you one more thing that we're doing is, uh, uh, if I might, in sure. next, that after the uh, after Kathleen and I perform, uh, uh, I come back on stage and we do the the thing we do called The Rand is Due, which is a live stream that goes throughout the world and people can watch it on the uh, on their iPad or on their uh, phone or on their computer. And uh, what I do is I take uh, questions. Um, people can write into a thing called LiveLewis.com, and they can I, they can ask questions of Kathleen or of me. And uh, the one thing we're looking at is uh, what what upsets Canadians and what what's irritating them. And they can the people can send in their rants, and uh, the ones that we like will read uh, live on the air. So uh, uh, I'm looking forward to that. that I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what irritates Canadians. <laughs> well, you've you've played the uh, the Just for Last Festival a number of times. You've you've got a pretty good flavor for that, anyway, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, guys, thank you again so much. Uh, we look forward to the show on Sunday and, of course, the after show as well that you just talked about. Lewis Black, Kathleen Madigan, thank you again for this, and uh, we'll see you Sunday. Thanks for this. Hey, thank you. Oh, thank you. We really appreciate the time. Okay. Bye-bye now. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.